You're listening to Sound Opinions, and this week we'll be talking with Damon Locks about Black Monument Ensemble. We'll also bid farewell to the rapper Biz Markey and hear from some of our listeners. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. But first, some buried treasures, Jim. Yes, a show we love, Greg, whether we are hearing about these treasures from emails from publicists, pokes in the ribs from friends, how come you haven't reviewed X, uh, social media chatter, you name it, we've always got our antenna up to check out sounds that aren't necessarily getting hyped anywhere that we are excited to share with you. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead us off here, Greg, and uh, as you know, especially lately, uh, I am a huge fan of that wonderful French pop, that, that world that is combining uh, electronic dance music and pop and disco and house and psychedelia. We've had a couple of good uh, r- records so far this year along those lines, and I am just now catching up with a duo named Polo and Pan that have been making great music since 2013. Three EPs, a debut album in 2017, and now a new album that just came out called Cyclorama. Our old friend Bobby Gale, one of the few people I actually would call a friend in the publicist world, you know, wrote to me and said, hey, Jim, I don't know how your summer's going, uh, but what I've wanted all summer is something playful, carefree, and just a tad risque, like a day at the beach in France. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> now, Bobby, this music better, uh, better measure up. And indeed, it does. I'm late to this group. Uh, It's led by a producer duo, Paul Armand Delisle and Alexandre uh, Grispan, with various collaborators, including some wonderful female vocalists. And again, mixing all these elements of that 60s French pop world uh, with a modern electronic consciousness. The song I'm going to play, and I looked up the French pronunciation, is Les Jolies Chausses. It's about a day in the sandy dunes of Cap Ferret, uh, France. Uh, I don't know exactly where that is, but, you know, a beach in France sounds like that's A-OK to me. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a fantastic album because I've gone back now and listened to everything they've done before. And this, I think, is, uh, is, is a leap forward. I mean, just, just listen to this and, and tell me it's not putting you in a better, more summery mood. Polo and Pam. Cette forêt de pain, le sable qui coulait entre tes mains, un sorbet de groseille au sel marin, le lever du soleil de bon matin, faire l'amour au réveil avant midi, le petit déjeuner servi au lit, s'embrasser mouiller, se mettre à l'abri, caresser par le vol d'un colibri. by Polo and Pan. Uh, t- tell me you didn't love that. No, I mean, I, first of all, I'm shocked because I know you hate the beach. and that, I do that hate the beach. beach music for me. Yeah, I mean, if I have to go to the beach, you know, I would go in France. Yeah, well, they got great beaches there. Uh, I'm going to swim across the English Channel, uh, Jim. We're going to go to Liverpool, England. All right. For this next group, uh, they are the Mysterines. They're fairly new, uh, came out in the last couple of years. I found out about them um, 
because uh, the lead singer, uh, who was then a teenager, I think she was all of 18 years old, uh, Leah Metcalf, uh, collaborated with Paul Weller, you know, the, mm. the grand old man of uh, Britpop uh, back in the days yeah. of the jam, etc., on one of his projects a couple of years ago. And uh, I loved the voice. I mean, you know, you could see why Weller wanted to work with her. Uh, they put out a, a couple of EPs since then, and they're apparently getting a record ready for release later this year. It's a quintet uh, from Liverpool with Metcalf as kind of the, the linchpin. Uh, she started out on a, the open mic singer-songwriter scene and then uh, clearly had a voice that was bigger, better equipped for rock. Uh, just a huge voice, a lot of soul qualities to it. Uh, now barely in her 20s, but that resonance and wildness to her voice. There's mm-hmm. sort of a feral quality. You know, she projects an older, wiser personality, but, uh, you know, think she's maybe 21 years old now. So uh, here's a track from the Mysterines, Who's Your Girl, on Sound Opinions. Who's your girl? from the Mysterines, a brand new band out of Liverpool, England, debut album later this year. Well, when we do Bury Treasures, we do share our picks with each other in advance, unlike when we do the best albums of the year or other list uh, shows. And I'm, I'm just, I'm green with envy. I'm, I'm so... I'm so envious, I'm angry. How did you get to this music before me? Because it is such a, uh, you know, that, that, that fine line between stoner rocking and garage rock with a ferocious uh, female presence up front. I was like, oh my God, yeah. I can't wait for this album. Yeah, me, me neither. I agree with you. The guitar player is really good, too. A uh, guy by the name of Callum Thompson, uh, mm. he really, you know, he fits that voice very well with his tone. Wow, yeah, great stuff. Um, I'm going to go to the R&B tip uh, now, Greg, although it's a, it's a little R&B, a little soul, a little Afrofusion, some blues, some R&B, uh, a fondness, lingering fondness for old Donna Summer. I'm talking about an American-Nigerian singer-songwriter uh, who goes by the name of Sweet Valley High. Those words are easy to say, but she spells them S-W-T-V-A-L-L-I-H-I, Sweet Valley High. It's also the name of her band. Um, You know, this is is a great conglomeration of sounds uh, recognizing or, or staying loyal to no one genre and really covering the waterfront on a new album that's uh, just out this month, uh, and this is the first uh, single from it. Uh, it's called Over It. Uh, over what, you may ask, mm. says this young uh, American-Nigerian woman. Uh, with this track, I wanted to encourage people to let all the people that cross you and all the negativity go. See who's for you and see who's not, and those who are not. Tell them bye-bye. <laughs> All right, yeah, over it. Yeah, Sweet Valley High. We are over many things in 2021, uh, but not this music. Here it is on Sound Opinions. Oh. 
And uh, and and Fela, there's mm-hmm. a lot going on in that groove. Yeah, I uh, I was most impressed uh, by that disorienting swirl that was kind of you know underneath that track, that background for the track. And yeah, sort of surrounding that melancholy vocal. It was a nice put me in a mood. You know, well, I gather <laughs> she I, I gather she is the producer, uh, but she doesn't use that term. She uses sound designer yeah and i like that and that is a complicated wonderful track it it it, sound designer is a great way to describe it because you really can't put your finger on what is making those sounds yeah it's uh it it, and that's kind of cool for that reason uh speaking of talented women uh jamie branch is uh, an artist i want to highlight uh this next track she uh is uh, another person who does a lot of production work uh in addition to being a classically trained trumpet player and composer uh, she's been part of multiple scenes. I got familiar with her work because she did a lot of work in the Chicago jazz scene over the last decade plus. She's also done things in New York and Baltimore, contributed to a wide range of projects, not only in jazz, but punk, avant-garde, indie rock, electronic music, hip-hop. Uh, she's collaborated with TV on the radio and Spoon, mm. you know, for you know, people who are more interested in the rock end of things. But I just think her work is, uh, it, 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 it's not genre-specific, but uh, incredibly inventive every time out. Uh, she's finally gotten around to releasing a, a record with her name on it. She's, I, I guess she's done a couple of smaller things that have her name as the sole person on the cover. But for the most part, she's worked in, in group projects. This is an album called Fly or Die. And what a band she's put together. It's a quartet. Uh, Tamika Reed is the cello player on this uh, in this ensemble, and she's a legendary figure in the avant-garde jazz scene. And Chad Taylor, the drummer, um, another another legend, uh, art ensemble of Chicago veteran. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's done a ton of projects that are also uh, cross genre. So uh, Jamie Branch with some very like-minded collaborators, and I just love the explosiveness of the drums on this track, the percussion mm-hmm. bed, and then Jamie comes in with the, with the trumpet flying over the top. You know, uh, Tamika Reed's cello uh, kind of counter harmony there. Uh, I, I just love the composition. If you want a little stairway into, into jazz, con- contemporary <laughs> jazz, you could do a lot worse than Jamie Branch. Here's a track called Theme 001 from Jamie Branch's Fly or Die album on Sound Opinions.
Jamie Branch, theme 001. I, I love that, Greg. You knew I would. That African <laughs> percussion. I didn't know that was Chad Taylor. Makes perfect sense now. I mean, the jazz uh, uh, sensibility that runs through it, but with that almost Fela Kute-like, mm-hmm. his name again, yeah. uh, uh, African percussion, just fantastic stuff. Yep, we've got some uh, buried treasures that we hope you will like, and we want to know if you have any that you would like to share. Let us know in our Facebook group or in our Patreon community, or you can leave us a voice message on our website, soundopinions.org. Coming up, we're going to share more buried treasures, talk with Damon Locks, say goodbye to Bismarcky, and hear listener feedback. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions. And we are back. We both have one more buried treasure to share with you each on this episode. I'll go first. Greg, I am going to Toronto to a group that has some roots that stretch back several years to a bunch of different indie bands. I guess there was a group called Quest for Fire. I vaguely remember them. Uh, Two of the driving members, Chad Ross and Andrew Mazinski, went on to form this new band, Comet Control, uh, with uh, Sophie Trudeau, who was in Godspeed, You Black Emperor. Some indie underground veterans, in other words. And what they are doing is, I mean, it's just so right up my alley. I hate to be a cliche, but a mix of that cosmic rock, Mm. kraut rock (laughs) sound of Germany from the early 70s, the British shoegaze movement, uh, you know, spiritualized ride, uh, a timeless sort of psychedelic vibe that stretches back to, you know, 13 floor elevators and revolver by the Beatles. Mm -hmm. How do you go wrong? It's been done many times. Right, but to really make me, especially as a super aficionado of this genre, snap up! Wow! Yeah, yeah more, please. So it's a sextet now from Toronto that's been kicking around since 2013, but they are about to issue in late August their third studio album, Inside the Sun, on New York's uh, wonderfully grungy and cosmic uh, TP Records. The song is called Secret Life by Comic Control. Comet Control, Secret Life. Am I a cliche for loving that so much? Well, you know, I tell you, uh, you, you talk about setting your guitars on 11. I think these guys are like at 111. I mean, wow. I love the way it just comes in and blows your head off. So Yeah, you think they've yeah, heard Loveless kind of by My Bloody yeah. Valentine? You know. My last pick is a band that may be familiar to Sound Opinions listeners if you are a veteran uh, listener to the show, uh, a group called Blackjacks. That's B-L-K-J-K-S. Uh, shorthand for Blackjacks, uh, from South Africa. I had them in my top 10 in 2009 when their debut album was released on Secretly Canadian. Mm-hmm. Um, I found out about the band uh, through other channels when they were releasing uh, independent music out of South Africa, which is extremely rare. This generation yeah. of South African rockers coming out of the uh, post-apartheid era. Apartheid ends roughly 1994. 
These were kids back then. They started making music. They were influenced by Western music, but they were also bringing in a lot of the sounds from their native country, which were suddenly exploding with creativity in this post-apartheid vacuum. Hey, we can do our own stuff now, yeah, you know? Yeah. They're doing a version of South African hip-hop. They're doing that township music that they knew from their homeland, but they're also influenced by bands like Sonic Youth and Bjork from, from the West and, and bringing in some of that into their music. So everything is going great. They're 2009. They got signed by Secretly Canadian. Mm-hmm. Diplo's a huge fan, brings them to the label. Dave Grohl mentions them, takes them on tour, and then the singer leaves. Mm. And then they try to make another album, but the tapes get stolen. Oh. So 12, you know, 12 years later, we finally have a new album from this band. It's reconstituted from that original lineup. They were just kids when they made that first record. Now they're older, uh, obviously more mature. What we have here is still a sound very much like that debut album where they were just cross-cutting across all these styles. And I've heard some people talk about this new album, which is called Abantu um, Before Humans, uh, as a prog rock record. Mm. And I'm going, yeah, it's prog rock, except it's from the streets. There's no prog rock that sounds like this. This is a street record. Uh, and yes, they are mixing and melding a lot of different influences. Uh, they have a few cool friends, too. Uh, the, the Malian guitarist, uh, Vu Varka Touré, uh, the son of the, uh, the Malian guitar legend, is playing guitar on this particular track. And, uh, but the, the, every, every song has its own character. I love this one in particular. It's called Mega Mali Mansa Musa from Blackjacks on Sound Opinions. Mega Mali Mansa Musa from Blackjacks on Sound Opinions. I would have backsold it. I just wanted to hear you say oh, okay. that title again. Yeah, I, I, I don't. This didn't grab me, Greg. I was thinking, and this is the third time I'm dropping his name in this episode. Fela Kute Light. That's mm-hmm. what I. That, that's how it grabbed me. But I haven't heard the whole album. Well, it's got that Malian guitar style, which kind of uh, is, dominates it. You know, so I think that's part of it. Uh, in that it does have sort of a breezier vibe than some of their other tracks. I thought it was a more of a song-oriented track. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of their other stuff is is wilder and more uh, progressive, for lack of a better yeah. term. But uh, I think they're still an incredibly inventive group. I'll listen to the whole album. But I want to know if you at home, do you have a buried treasure we need to hear? Leave a voice message on our website, soundopinions.org, or tell other listeners about it in our Facebook group. Our next guest has spent a lot of years as a sort of buried treasure, but it's been uh, very nice to see that changing in the past few years. Uh, Jim, you and I first got to know Damon Locks as the front man in Trenchmouth 
in the uh, early 1990s, Chicago post-punk band, whose drummer just happened to be a guy named Fred Armisen. You know, and after Trenchmouth, Damon spent years leading the Eternals, doing visual art, all sorts of artistic endeavors in the Chicago underground, a real treasure. And now, with Black Monument Ensemble, the world's catching up, big story in the New York Times, yeah. all sorts of attention for Damon. Damon, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. It is a thrill, Damon. You know, as you know, I have to tell this story every time I run into one of you veterans of Trenchmouth. <laughs> Very first Chicago band I ever reviewed for the Sun-Times. I went around the corner. I was living on Fletcher in Wrigleyville, and you guys were playing the Avalon, where you had the joy of carrying all your amps and drums up that flight of stairs. Treacherous. I've been a fan forever, but I don't know why we haven't had you on to talk about Black Monument Ensemble, which is truly an amazing project. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Can you take us through the roots of, uh, of this ambitious uh, collective of so many talented musicians, and of course you at the center, musical collage artist. How did it come together? It started probably when I started working and teaching art in prison at Stateville Correctional Center through an organization called Prison and Neighborhood Arts and Education Project. After my first semester inside the prison system, working on a project, an animation project, I was going in, seeing the justice system up close, uh, and I was coming out and Michael Brown was murdered. You know, um, so yeah. it was just a time period that was really fraught, not unlike the many fraught time periods we've had since. But (laughs) um, I really felt like I needed to explore the ideas and process what was happening uh, sonically. So I started doing these solo sound projects where I was pulling records that were coming from the civil rights era, whether it's like Angela Davis talking about incarceration. And I'm talking about all of the sisters and brothers who are victims of the system, who are easy targets of the police, who get railroaded through the courts into prison, often for no reason at all. Or Ruby Dee and Ozzie Davis, you know, reading Langston Hughes poems. What can purge my heart of the song and the sadness? What can purge my heart but the song of the sadness? What can purge my heart of the sadness of the song? I was just kind of making layers so we can hear these conversations people have been having for decades around the same issues that we're having now. And from that very first performance, I had a percussionist with me and wrote a song that we performed at the end of this kind of sound collage. And as I kept performing these sound pieces, I really started to um, listen to more records from the 60s and start to, you know, really think about how gospel was the soundtrack for the civil rights era and thinking about how this time really reflects so many aspects of that era in terms of civil rights being stripped away. And I thought, well, you know, obviously gospel was a community space for black Americans, uh, a space where uh, our political leaders came from. And so gospel was a was a logical expression of the time. But I was starting to think that maybe 
it is actually the times calling for multiple black voices in song to kind of, mm-hmm. you know, express this. So I thought, well, what if I got together in the kind of gospel tradition, but not specifically gospel music to address these issues, you know? So I, I called together five singers um, with the help of Josephine Lee from the Chicago Children's Choir, because originally they were all graduates from the choir. Um, wow. And then we ex- kind of expanded from there. Different people kind of changed in and changed out. And once I had the, the vocalists locked in, I kind of was able to expand the uh, musicians as well and then add dance into it. And so it, it became the the dream scenario of all the different, uh, perf- not all the performance mediums, but a bunch of performance mediums. Well, you you mentioned gospel and 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 also jazz. I mean, you look at uh, Max Roach and uh, Mingus and uh, artists of that ilk mm-hmm. uh, who are doing protest art uh, through their music, very overtly addressing what was going on in, in America at that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're bringing that element in too. You're this is a gospel jazz. It's a stew of different things going on. You know, movie clips, etc. The fact that this was made under very trying conditions, it was not a traditional recording for you, right? I mean, it was not like a, a typical, you can't get, a, uh, you know, a dozen people in a room and like, like, hey, let's make music together. How did you negotiate that whole uh, deal? So, yeah, the first record, uh, Where Future Unfolds, was a, a live concert recording, right? It was recorded at the end of 2018 and released in 2019. In 2020, in the summer, during the kind of uprisings in response to the murders uh, of Breonna Taylor and Maude Aubrey and George Floyd, I found that people were like returning to where future unfolds. Uh, Instagram was letting me know that people were playing it a lot to help process that time. to think what would it sound like if Black Monument said something now. So I, I got to writing new material. I wasn't going anywhere. I was in my apartment. So the process was co- totally different. I was making demos myself of the songs and um, trying to figure out how I could record 10 people, you know, in a time, especially with like five or six vocalists in a time where we are most scared of breath as I've ever been in my life. Um, Potentially deadly to breathe in a group. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) When we return, we're going to hear how Damon managed to record Black Monument Ensemble's album now in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions. If you had pleaded guilty, you would have already been... And we are back. Before the break, Damon Locks was explaining how he convened his Black Monument Ensemble to record the new album now in the summer of 2020 when the world was shut down. I reached out to the group to see if they were game, and they were game. And then I reached out to um, Alex Inglesian over at Experimental Sound Studio and said, hey, would you be interested in doing a recording session in the backyard of the Experimental Sound Studio? So we set up the very first, I broke the group up in kind of half. The vocalist, clarinetist, and myself 
did a session in the backyard of ESS two days. The first day was like 93 degrees. The second day, the second day was 98 <laughs> degrees in the backyard. There's one tree which wasn't shading us <laughs> the whole time. And then um, the next session was a month later in, in the studio, social distance, you know, with the percussionist, the drummer, and the cornet player. Everything was different about this recording. Oftentimes when you record, you um, do a take, go to the control room, listen back to the take, and then say, okay, we can, let's do another. This was all about, like, how did that feel? Did that feel good? Okay, let's move on. Let's do another one. Um, cicadas were roaring throughout the recording, and I just had to hope that this is going to sound good, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> well, as you said, sometimes they blessed you by being in time oh. with the polyrhythmic <laughs> percussion and drums. Yeah, they really locked in. <laughs> <laughs> they got the groove. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering about the historical uh, precedents, especially in Chicago, Damon. To me, there are times where this feels like Art Ensemble of Chicago. There's times where it feels like Sun Ra's Orchestra, you know? And, and I was wondering how much improvisation and spontaneity there is in, uh, in now. The whole project was really going off of the intuition of the separate musicians and trying to follow my intuition as well. So um, I wrote demos, right, um, that mm-hmm. were essentially the the skeleton or the kind of the architecture of the song, knowing that people would be able to bring all of their skills to bear on the tune. So, for example, um, Angel, who plays clarinet, Ben, who plays cornet, Dana and Arif, I wrote nothing for them. I just wrote the structure of the song. And then I said, and w- once we got to the recording session, I'm like, let's do it. And they brought their they brought their A game and filled in where they felt like it needed to be. So I wasn't really dictating what they were they were going to do. When it comes to the vocalists, of course there's a lead line. There's the lead melody that goes through the whole thing. But they spent a lot of time fleshing out that lead line, finding the harmonies, finding the different colors. For example, Eric, who is one of the singers, uh, did a lot of groundwork on the song Now Forever Momentary Space and kind of brought to the table all of these harmonies. And some of the ideas weren't ideas that I had already, so I had to, in the moment, like shift the song structure around to be like, okay, well, let's put that in here and do this. So we had to really like condense the process into this two-day recording session where normally it would be over the course of rehearsals, playing a show, you know, tweaking, changing. So it all happened in a condensed moment. You know, the fact that it worked is a credit to their connection to the material and to their own artistry. And it seems like the music is meeting the moment. You've taken on this gigantic project. In some ways, I think that your 
career has sort of been building to this moment. There's this element of serendipity to anything, right? But I mean, do you feel like in some ways you were sort of been aiming for this kind of a scale of a project for, for a long time or did it just, it, the moment just occurred and here it is, you know? I, I'm curious about your thinking about your art mm -hmm. in particular in, in this broader context that you've, you've presented it in now. Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um... It it does it does feel like there has been a a kind of a trajectory towards this, right? As you said, like this is the culmination of a of a bunch of things. I think that I've learned enough over time to be able to, you know, mount this type of project. Had I not spent ten years working with Rob Mazurik in the Exploding Star Orchestra, where uh, improvisation on my part was really like paramount in that collaboration and also seeing how he runs a large ensemble. Had I not spent multiple years with the Eternals and with the last Eternals record, Espiritu Zombie, where we became a 10 piece and I had to have vocal practice with uh, Tamika and Janine. If I had not done all of those things, if I hadn't spent several years working in prison and dealing with trying to elevate voices that don't get heard, if I hadn't spent four years working in the CPS, working with uh, students, focusing on civically engaged contemporary art, then Black Monument wouldn't be what it is. But I have to say, you know, some of my earliest like influences, like the specials, yeah, you know, yeah. are still things that resonate with me, whether it's Ghost Town by the specials. This town is coming out ghost town. All the clubs are being closed down. Or Public Enemy, or listening to Sun Ra, or Phil Karan, like all of these things have been in play the whole time I've been listening to music and I just had to educate myself enough or have enough experience that I could make the work on the level that I'm interested in doing, which is a work that connects with community and connects with people's lives in present day and is not so much um, based on the trends of the music scene. Where Future Unfolds was four or five years in the unfolding, mm -hmm. comes out in 2019, and now, you know, is recorded 2020, comes out right away. That immediacy is there. Yeah. I want to dial it back a little bit to you coming to Chicago in the first place, and I love that idea that you saw some people at the School of the Art Institute that were weird, and you thought, <laughs> I'm, I'm done with this. Yeah. So my question, Damon, is, is Chicago still weird? Hmm. Um, yeah, Chicago's weird. Yeah. Um, but weird is a shifting plate. You know what I mean? When I came to Chicago, you know, a mohawk and a leather jacket and tattoos were, were weird. It's not that weird anymore, you know? So you have to kind of think about what you're looking for. So I was looking for, um, at the time, I was looking for people that thought outside of the box. And they looked a certain way at that time. Um, I'm still looking for people that think outside the box, you know, and there are plenty of people that are doing that work and, and, and doing that thought process that I respect and can connect to. I think this is a time period where people are really connecting to history 
in a way that I had not seen yeah. previously. So the work of the AACM and groups like our ensemble and Sun Ra are very relevant to a lot of today's musicians and performers in the same way that Nina Simone, James Baldwin, all of these people are making connections to, to today. And that's not something that was traditional. Most of the time, kind of the past was the past. And I was I always lamented that the strong connections weren't being made. And it's so wonderful right now to see that we're we're looking at time in a different way. So the, th the things that are relevant are, are still relevant. I remember Art Ensemble uh, playing the Chicago Jazz Fest, which was such a huge educational thing for me, seeing all those great jazz bands back then. But Stan Getz played right before them. And Art Ensemble came on, and that's the moment we were waiting for. But it turned out like 95% of the audience, they couldn't get, get out of there fast enough. Yeah. It's like, you know, there would be a bomb scare, and they were like fleeing, like, you know, we got to escape. But it's like time catches up with stuff, you mm -hmm. know? Like, the, the, what was weird in, in the 80s is like, now we understand what they were saying. At least, you know, people who weren't hip to it back then. And in some ways, that idea of being outside the box is so important. Your music strikes me as being outside the box too, because nobody, people want to put stuff in a box and they can't. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that is a guiding principle in making a record like this or in general for your career, the kind of records you've made that people can't identify. What is this? That has some, been something that has, you know, trailed through my musical career, not being able to really categorize exactly, you know. But I never really thought too much about it because I always thought that you're trying to make the work that uh, speaks to you with the influences that you have. And however it comes out, it's going to sound like you. So genres were never super important to me. One of the reasons why uh, it's hard to define, say, Black Monument Ensemble is because of the influence and the mastery that the musicians bring to the table. Uh, someone like uh, Dana Hall, who is a phenomenal jazz drummer, Arif Smith, percussion percussionist, mm -hmm. knows a wide span of the percussion languages. So within that, they can bring rhythms that come from all over kind of the African diaspora and probably, you know, the rock world as well. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. They are kind of threading that through the music as well. So you're getting all these layers along with the gospel and the soul and probably the punk and the, you know, so all of everyone's identities are coming through within that. And then you throw, I mean, my goodness, for me, uh, the first uh, record, there was a uh, song, Rebuild a Nation, and you throw in Raina Golding in the opening of that, which was, uh, uh, at the time, she was like eight-year-old. So this uh, young eight-year-old opening the song, talking about rebuilding a nation and how she can rebuild a nation. I can rebuild a nation. I can rebuild a nation. I can rebuild a nation no longer working, yeah. <laughs> no longer working out, yeah, no longer working out. I can rebuild a nation. You know, these are things that I can't do on my own, you know? 
these are layers of kind of beauty and community and they, it feels larger. And so that's why I feel like it's harder to encapsulate what Black Monument Ensemble is. All right. Cool. That's great. Mm-hmm. We have been talking with Damon Lux about, uh, well, many, many things. And uh, most importantly, Black Monument Ensemble. Damon, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You bet. We can rebuild the nation. Do you have thoughts on Black Monument Ensemble? Leave a voice message on our website, soundopinions.org. And as often as possible, we like to add a song that we cannot live without to the Desert Island jukebox, especially when we've lost a musician we love. This week, it's Greg's turn. I love this guy too, Greg. Uh, We're talking about Biz Markey, who is uh, one of the all-time great hip-hop MCs. Uh, and a human beatbox, one of the pioneers yeah, of that. Yeah. Uh, and, and also an incredible uh, humorist, satirist, uh, vocalist, distinctive, larger-than-life personality. You know, when you think about the 80s, the golden age of hip-hop, which is when uh, Biz started uh, making records, he had some stiff competition out there. You know, the same year that his debut album came out, uh, we had... Great records by the likes of people like Public Enemy, mm-hmm. Ultra Magnetic MCs, Boogie Down Productions, NWA, Big Daddy Kane, who was his friend, EPMD. Biz stood out. Yeah. You know, they were all distinctive. They all had their own sound. You had to have your own thing to make a dent in that kind of marketplace where hip hop was just exploding with creativity. Uh, Marcel Theo Hall, you know. Uh, he didn't talk a lot about his childhood, but you got the sense it was pretty rough. You know, he grew up uh, primarily in uh, Harlem and then moved to Long Island. Mm. Uh, you know, started working with the, the Juice Crew. Uh, he was the goofball member of the Juice Crew. They had some really big names in there. Big Daddy Kane, as I mentioned, Cool G Rap. Uh, Marley Marl was the key producer of that group. He sort of brought Biz in, saw this, ki- this kid's special. Started beat, you know. Started out as the human beatbox, you know. Yeah. He was going to do that. That's his thing. He kind of does that. Then realized, oh, this kid's a pretty good rapper too. Uh, and then when the kid tries to sing, they go, "That's kind of cool too." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nobody else thought Biz could sing. I mean, we have now seen this song. You got what I need. Uh, used in so many TV commercials. People, it, it has like a second, third, fourth life because people love this song so much. Uh, it was a huge hit when it came out in the late 80s. It's still a huge hit in people's minds. A lot of the thing about the song is it's so distinctive. Biz kind of lets it go. He said, you know, I was waiting for somebody to come in and sing that hook for me, you know, but nobody came in, so I decided to do it myself. Yeah. This yeah. was a great time, Jim, because none of the label, big label executives knew what to do with hip-hop. Right. So they just let these guys do their own Try thing. Try anything you, know, like, you do want. Do what you right. want. And they let Biz sing the hook on this song. Like yeah. nowadays, some producer would be going, no, 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 we got to get a real singer in here. Biz is off key, he's kind of, but he's really into it. You know, he's saying, hey, you know, I'm mourning this, I'm, I'm upset, you know. People could relate to him. You know, he was Biz Markey, but he was all of us. All of us could relate to that song. Yeah. Everybody wants to sing along with it. So he was such a charming, big-hearted personality uh, that he cut a huge swath through hip-hop. And then he got buried by that ridiculous court case 
where he sampled the, uh, the Gilbert O'Sullivan tune. And you know, you know what's sad is that Biz's uh, career is sometimes reduced to that. That's the most that famous moment, moment in yeah. his career because it was the first time the courts ever got involved in yeah. legislating what music could be. A series of bad precedents. And uh, terrible precedent. But uh, Biz was at the center of it. And unfortunately, he's remembered by a lot of people simply for that. Well, trust me, there's folks. More. There's so much more to Biz Markey. You Got What I Need is incredible. But I want to play another track from that uh, debut album in the late 80s, uh, The Vapors, where he talks about growing up and, and the hardships that he went through. And now people who hated him back then thought he was goofy and nutso and not particularly talented, just a prankster. Uh, hey, we want to, you know, get to know you a little bit better. Sorry we were so jerky to you back then, but we really we, like you now. Can we borrow some money? And yeah. he says, you're all smelling the vapors. You know, yeah, you yeah. all want a piece of this action now, but you didn't back then. And it was Biz's version of a diss track, which I just love the fact that he even put a, his own spin on that. The vapors from the great late Bismarck, he dead at the age of 57 on Sound of Pain. When I was a teenager, I wanted to be down with a lot of MTG and crews in town. Source crew on Noble Street, I said, can I be down camp? They said, no one treated me like a wet food stamp. After getting rejected, I was very depressed. Sat and wrote some death deuterons at Moret. When I used to come to parties, they make me pay. We'll have to beg to get on the mic and rap that day. I was never into girls, I was just into my music. To act like I wanted to keep instead of trying to use it. But now things switch without belief. Your biz, do you remember me for no bullshit? Street Chief, we used to be down back in the days. It happens all the time and never cease to amaze. They caught the vapors. Biz Markey, the vapors, great stuff, Greg. That was a unique individual, 100% himself. <laughs> Absolutely right, Jim. And we want to ask people if they have a favorite memory of Biz Markey. Uh, tell us your story on our website, soundopinions.org. Your comments might be used on a future show in a segment like this. New messages. Hey, Jim and Greg. My name's Topher. I'm calling from Madison, Wisconsin. I just wanted to respond to your review of LW, the new King Gizzard in the Lizard Wizard album. And I haven't listened to this album yet. Like you said, it's kind of daunting where to get in on their their catalog. I think their first one, the Flying Microtonal Banana, is also a great record. But if you really want to get this band, I can't speak more highly of seeing them live. If you see this band live, there's no way you can come away dismissing them as just sort of a, a garage band freak out. Um, it's so apparent, the control, the the number of gears that they have when they perform King Gizzard strong as a band live. So if you get a chance, go check them out. Thanks. Love, love your show, but you really missed the mark on the Taylor Swift folklore piece. You needed to look beyond the obvious superficial critique. I'm 52 and hated her previous work, but this is poetry. It's artistry, and Aaron Dessner knew not to treat it like all the other sickeningly sweet iced tea pop because it would have diminished the brilliance of the lyrics and its interplay with her carefully chosen pop melodies. Evermore took a few more listens, but it also is fabulous. I really hope that she continues to make art. Thanks. Been saying yes instead of no. I thought I saw you at the bus stop. I didn't though. 
Sound opinions, long time listener, but first time I've ever tried this. I've got a band that is definitely a hidden gem for you. It's Prick. I think they were on the Nothing label. Give yourself 45 minutes on a good set of headphones or a good set of surround and listen to that. It's really a pretty surprisingly good album. Thanks for hearing me. Have a good day. on the radio and shocked at as you guys age you still stay current with music so great job on that other thing I'd like to recommend or suggest you guys should have a show highlighting the best last songs of records uh, I think it'd be uh, a good debatable topic keep doing what you're doing guys no more messages it is so much fun to hear from our listeners, Greg. We are uh, going to be doing more of that now that we're in the swing of things. What do we have on the show next week? Jim, there's an illuminating new documentary film out on Woodstock 99, and uh, we're going to talk about that next week. <laughs> Not the summer of love. And we'll also have some guest Desert Island jukebox picks. And... Listeners, please participate in our Sound Opinion Survey. Uh, we are doing this to help focus our resources, make the show more sustainable. People have asked if, if we're getting rich on this. <laughs> and uh, we want to learn more about what you love about the show and what you think can be better. Uh, we're going to open this until July 31st to take the survey. Just go to soundopinions.org. The link will be on our homepage. For more Sound Opinions, listen to our podcast wherever you find such things. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this program belong solely to Sound Opinions and not necessarily to Columbia College Chicago or our sponsors. And speaking of sponsors, every week our show reaches hundreds of thousands of curious listeners from around the globe via podcast and on 150 public radio stations nationwide. If you'd like to learn more on how your business or organization can also reach this engaged and educated audience, you can email sponsor at soundopinions.org. That's sponsor at soundopinions.org. Thanks, as always, to our Patreon supporters. Sound Opinions is produced by Andrew Gill, Alex Claiborne, our intern Sol Delgadillo, and our social media consultant, Katie Cott.